that time of year, Tommy, where the, um, especially here in Texas, where the, the weather is a bit schizophrenic, isn't it? Yeah. Have you had to take a, a work trip with a winter coat yet? I've, I've had it where I go to the airport in t-shirt cargo shorts, holding a jacket. Right. First stop, you got to get off with the jacket on, but you can still get by with the shorts, which is, that's a uniquely Texas or, you know, or crazy Canadians like to do that. <laughs> they do. Right. And then, uh, and then another spot where I just had to switch to pants and a hoodie, but put the coat in the, in the, it was a, yeah, that happens all the time where you have to leave with three different climates of, of outfit at the ready. Yeah. I had to bring like a, a pretty substantial windbreaker just for an overnight in New York city Oh yeah. on the way to the Caribbean because I, uh, I know the JFK airport and I know that I'm going to be waiting outside for a hotel shuttle or something. Mm-hmm. It was freezing. So I had to lug this jacket with me for two more weeks. That was only necessary for one 30 minute wait for a shuttle. Yeah. You know, but I was glad to have it. <laughs> Dude, I had one time it was in the winter, but I had three weeks booked, but it was all like Miami so it was all going to be warm. So I didn't have yeah. any any kind of cold weather clothes. Yeah. But in the middle of that trip, something got canceled and skipped, and they moved me to a Baltimore ship. Oh no! But I didn't even get on in Baltimore. I got on it like in you know Halifax or, or something. something. Oh no, oh, not even that. South? Okay. I got I got on the ship where it was warm and had to ride it back up to the cold, oh. and I had nothing. And it was it was fifteen degrees getting off the ship. So I had to, I had to the day before go buy like the gift shop, one of the big fluffy hoodies and a windbreaker to put over it to kind of make a coat. Like I felt, I felt mildly homeless. Yeah. yeah. This is how they adapt. And I was freezing my fucking ass off out there. I, uh, Baltimore's the first place I ever saw a cruise ship covered in ice. Yeah. Right. Like the deadliest catch. Yeah. And then the ice starts falling off. As the sun comes out, man, just uh, killer missiles yeah. launching down the side of the ship. Just taking out the stevedores. Oh. I said, did you know that was the name of the the people that unload and load ships and shit? Stevedore. Yeah. Stevedore. That's a, a great word. It's a great word. It's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's one of those job titles that sounds way better than it is. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, me? I'm a, I'm a licensed stevedore. Like, yeah. We, we'd always laugh about the... Uh, we thought the coolest sounding job title on the ship was uh, Chief Reefer. Chief Reefer is <laughs> a good one. Chief Reefer is a great one. That job's nowhere near as cool as it sounds. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I like, um, I've seen these guys on ships and I'm like, this has got to be just one step above prison where it just says able body. Uh, able body. Yeah, that's a rough job. If you're an able body, that's a rough job, man. You know, I've seen those guys scooping grease out of the bottom of the boat. And then you see them as stagehands, all dressed in black. Oh yeah, musical. Yeah, <laughs> and they have the same dead look in their face, like whether they're helping a, a presentation of Oklahoma, or if they're you know cleaning out the uh, the, the bilge water. <laughs> it's the same yeah. guy. Yeah, you know it's yeah. uh, you know it's a rough run when the 
the name tag of the person hosting your show says able body on it. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that a couple times. So so none of the important people are going to watch this now. I've had on ships where you have um, a late night adult show and it's like at 11, 1130, something like that. And uh, I'm the only person backstage. <laughs> it's five minutes before the show. I'm like, what? Did they forget? Because there's a crowd and me and yeah. nothing else. And then like the eighth ranked cruise staff who they can tell they dragged out of the crew bar. Smells like a pack of camel lights. <laughs> was actually shanghai into the job yeah exactly you, you can tell he's got he's about eight tequilas deep but he's got four pieces of gum in his mouth mm-hmm. he's just being sent out there to butcher your name real quick and disappear <laughs> and go back to the bar <laughs> but the, uh, the reason i brought up the schizophrenic weather and like i don't know if this is just a texas phenomenon but this is the time of year where you have to use the heater and the air conditioner during the same day. Yeah. And it is causing so much uh, sinus problems in our house. Yeah. Temperature change is is hard on the, on the human, uh, the system temperature change is hard on our system. I just wish it was all, if it got like the, the heater wouldn't bother me at all if it was properly cold. But it just gets to that tipping point where it's just cold enough in the morning. So you have the heater on. And then next thing you know, it's it's fucking 75, 80 degrees. And the house is all stuffed. So now I got to turn the AC on, try to get some fresh air in here. And it's just it's just killing us. And, and this here's here's a dad thing, right? Um, Me and Sarah, we'd love a cold house at night. Oh, nothing better than a house around 62 degrees, cold from outside. And you're just snuggled up in the comforters, right? Yeah. Feeling good. But no, we can't do that. We can't let the house get that cold anymore because of uh, three animals that live in our house. Two hermit crabs and one old ass cat. And so that's because why. Because of two hermit crabs, right? Essentially a bait animal. Yeah. Right? Just a, yeah. a essentially a wiggling plant, really. What is <laughs> what is a fucking hermit crab? <laughs> But the old cat, Vinny, you know, he gets too cold. He wake up and he's all the way cold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, every day we get up and Vinny's still alive. We're like, hey, all right. <laughs> we kept him warm enough at night. So just to, just for, for fucking two hermit crabs and an old ass cat, everyone in the family is just sinus infection, which I like it because it, it gives you this, this badass radio voice. It yeah, hurts. Sure. Chunks of blood and flesh are flying out every time I talk, but yeah, it makes it all right. Sing along to ACDC or Black Sabbath, right? Oh, dude, I bet I could right now. I bet I could. I had um, uh, a show the other night when I got back to town and I had to go down to the, the to the riot for a taping, right? Oh, and nice. Yeah, I was excited about that for you. I, I was, thank you. I was, I was stoked about it. It was, it was, perfect. <laughs> it was like a nice little comedy reward slash test at the end of a long several months of working right where i was just i've been tinkering and worrying about the set for those two 15 minute shows then i was all the hour long almost professional shows i was getting paid for i was like ah, i got that i know that set list i'm working on this one <laughs> right? yeah that's it's interesting putting together a taping is so different than putting together a show on a cruise ship yeah, yeah right yeah completely completely um because you're more worried about anyway i don't want to get dive into the weeds of 
how nerd out we are about I, like I'm I'm kicking myself because there's two lines that I really wanted to get laid down that I missed the off ramp for them. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I was trying to, yeah. to squeeze one in the late show where it would have made no sense, but I'm like, at least I'll have that little tiny clip. And I wound up, I just, I did. And I went for the, anyway, um, the moral of the story was, is so there I was, I was exhausted. It was a long travel day. I get home. I got like an hour and a half to turn around, you know, hug the family, take a shower, get dressed again. Right. And, uh, you know, coffee, you know, if I'm drinking afternoon coffee, then that's going to, I'm, I'm burning it. Right. I'm usually a morning oh, yeah. only coffee, but if I'm drinking afternoon coffee, bro i'm i'm feeling it but i had the full i had the perfect pump up i had the gen x pump up because on the way down i got the uh, the sirius xm yeah put it on the lithium channel which oh, is okay. 90s alternative rock and grunge oh Classic. 90s johnny screaming and yelling singing stone temple pilots pearl jam fucking Edie Brickell and the new bohemians we had yeah. some verve, little gin blossoms. It was yeah. Cool. Listen like to I, the music that was on the radio when you wrote these jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the After Later podcast. I'm your host, John Wessling. You may I don't know if you remember me, but welcome to the brand new podcast that we're just now putting together. We've, uh, laid fallow long enough. Uh, but this is my co-host, uh, my best friend Tommy Drake. Hi, Tommy. How you doing? It's it's really just a new microphone. When you think about it, it's the same podcast, but with a, a new microphone, microphone. Boy, it changes your it changes your podcast. I think it's a whole new thing now. Welcome to After Later uh, Podcast. Uh, lead mic is now a Sure mic, which I'm feeling super fancy about. Look at me wearing yeah, headphones too. I never wore headphones. You you kind of talked me into picking out the mic that I bought. And now you've moved away from it. So is it my turn to move away? Like, how does that work? Oh, I think it's fine. Somebody well, recommends no, something to you and then, because they're doing it and then they stop doing it. Do you keep doing it? Well, we had a good run, Tom. We both were using the same Yeti mic for, you know, a good two years. Something I still like have that. my Yeti mic. It's my backup. I love it. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of, uh, piece of art, right? It's like a little elephant just sits on the table. But uh, you know, should we get matching microphones so that we match? I mean, I think uh, most of the people that know me know that I I resist upgrading my technology. <laughs> You're gonna use have, that and have for years. years. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, maybe I don't know. We'll see. That was a <clears throat> you know I I think about that. I I lost um, perspective on that, Tommy. That was a big change for you. I, I, I look at you jumping into the future with the with the Yeti mic. Yeah. That was good. That was big. Otherwise, you were yelling at the one on the screen of your laptop. I remember there was a guy <laughs> that at, at open mic at the laugh stop years ago that kind of was pretending to be a comic, but everybody knew that he really wasn't who he said he was. But at one point, I remember he came in with his own microphone. I don't know if you remember this. I do kind of remember this. I remember his own microphone, and he had it in like a little carrying case. <laughs> it was kind of showing it off like a fucking harmonica player does yeah yeah or like a, or like coming into a pool hall with your own oh yeah microphone right that's a giveaway and then i remember uh uh steve the uh bartender the uh open mic bartender says this guy's showing his microphone and then he walks away and steve under his breath who was not a wisecracker says uh 
it's it's not the mic it's it's what you say into it <laughs> like right after the guy walked away like the new mic isn't going to fix what you're saying into it <laughs> that is tough oh, that is calling your shot right if you do show up in, at an open mic and you've got your own brand new sm58 got a scratch yeah, you, on and it. you like ask if you can plug it in like unplug mm-hmm. the, uh yeah yeah no kidding When's the last time you saw someone show up with the uh, the stereotypical radio mic, the the old the one that they still use on the flyers? Sadly, Ball it's mic. within ten years. Yeah, that I've seen I've seen it. I've seen people put it on for their stylized performance. I mean, the only only person you know exactly who I'm talking about. The only person who gets the makes that look even remotely acceptable is Jimmy Ladmoreau. Lad, Lad Absolutely. Yeah, James Ladmoreau. Well, he's back in the business now. So he's, he's Jimmy Pineapple again. Okay. Right? Esquire. He's, well, only he's, my, he's my lawyer. Jimmy Pineapple <laughs> Esquire is my lawyer. That explains most of your legal problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he often says case closed in the middle of the case. When it's yeah. Closed. Like, sir, that's not official when you say it. He's like, hmm. No, case <laughs> case closed. Judges get sugar their tits. I'm like, oh, he called them judges. Get their Jesus feelings Christ. hurt when you close the case in the middle. But boy, anybody else, anybody else shows up dressed like the fucking squirrel nut zippers. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. They yeah. want to pull out that like, uh oh, we got ourselves a truth teller. Someone's gonna say it like it is. He's gonna ruffle some feathers up there. I don't, I don't know. I could appreciate a full-on vintage act if somebody was like, you know, just portraying a different time or a time traveler comic. I could, I could appreciate that. You like, got to commit that, though. That makes me happy when that happens. You, you know, cracking zingers about Adlai Stevenson. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if you remember our, our old friend uh, Rich Gabe used to do some very experimental stuff from Austin. You remember? I don't Rich? remember seeing Rich. Uh, okay, I well, remember this... the name, but I'm trying to piece some. Do uh, you remember the uh, the ventriloquist act that wasn't a ventriloquist act with just the... Yes, okay, yes. Okay, that was Rich Gabe. Yeah, well, Rich Gabe had a set that he would do every now and then, which was uh, which was very clever because it starts out, you're like, what is he what is he talking about? But it ends up being uh, uh, if Jack Tripper was hosting open mic at the Regal Beagle from Three's Company. And it it was this weird set where he didn't say what he was doing. He'd just be like, so I live with these two hot girls, you know, and he'd do <laughs> stuff about that. And then he'd be like, and my, uh, you know, uh, our landlord thinks I'm gay, you know, and I have to keep that. I can't get any jobs as a cook, right? All this, like, stuff. You're like, what's he talking about? At the end, he goes, well, thanks for coming. This is going to be our last open mic at the Regal Beagle, but uh, we have four or five more people coming up. <laughs> Dude, you know what's hilarious is but it, I think you could push that. You you could blind pitch classic sitcoms as a whole new thing. And in the modern comedy audience, the audience wouldn't, most of the audience wouldn't pick up on it. And then half of the people who work in like a television that you would pitch to and it would greenlight the show would be like, oh yeah, this is fantastic. This is so, it's so, it's so like of the time. It's modern. It's really on point. <laughs> you know, like Tommy, you and I, we're going to pitch a show where uh, we're roommates. And we got this amazing apartment and our neighbors are just the most amazing, gorgeous women. But the trick is we have to pretend to be a homosexual couple. Oh, right. Right. 
to live in right. an and sometimes we have to dress in drag and pretend to be our uh, sister versions of ourselves oh uh, right so everyone yeah. thinks that we're you know yeah. brother and sisters sharing or uh, and that that'll be bosom buddies that'll be us bosom buddies and i i have to be peter scolari because he was a he was a juggler oh yeah oh i get to be uh i get to be yeah. hanks tom hanks and tom hanks can also juggle but scolari's a much better juggler really yeah. Have those two gone head to head? Are they in the I'm, rankings? I have no Lars doubt they did Hanks? while they were filming Bosom Buddies. I have no doubt that they would have juggling competitions. But I don't know if you remember. Uh, sorry, my. Oh, that's the sound of a flip phone, phone ringing, ladies and gentlemen. Factory flip ring flip phone. Uh, I don't know if you remember. There's a there's a shot in the opening of Bosom Buddies where. Uh, Peter Scolari throws like a tennis ball off of like a garage door and it flies high in the air and he kind of blind catches it behind his back in the middle. And it's this, it's just like this collage shot of like, Oh, these guys are fun, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, of different clips, but that's one of the clips. And it's a really good, like, like if, if jugglers, uh, uh, I've, I've heard jugglers talk about it. And then you, then you find out like you do research, you find out Peter Scolari was like a, like I was like a kid's party performer when he was growing up, but was like a really good jugglers probably for most of his life. Was he discovered? performing on the streets because that would I don't, be i don't believe he was. Your world. I, I believe he just got a he got an agent and started acting and made sure to not tell anybody that he was a juggler because he didn't want to you know, <laughs> deal with that <laughs> i've made that mistake it really is the Anne frank of entertainment talents it really it really you know i'm saying you want to keep that shit quiet you do not yeah. bring that up yeah all right, does he have the usual rise to fame that most uh, late 70s, 20-year-olds? Yeah, I just moved to California, sell weed at Venice Beach, hang out, next thing you know. <laughs> this guy who I'm hanging out with, he's uh, his name is uh, Goldwyn Mayer, and uh, he's like, hey, my dad owns a, a movie thing. You want to be the movie man? And this is famous. weirdly actually how people used to get famous. That is in the number one way the modern system is more just i think you think so i would agree yeah, just that. put your own stuff out get a million followers and then boom you're famous right that's everybody has a shot at that right it is both more just and more cruel nowadays i think now are the people that have more that have more equipment uh and, and better internet do they have a better chance of getting famous so, i think they do that's uh are there are there kids monetizing off the off the community internet and the school computer or is that not a thing? That's kind of a thing, a yeah. little bit. Like TikTok kids can do that because a TikTok kid can basically just have a an old used iPhone, shoot stuff all day, go to the library, get the free Wi-Fi at the gas station, or whatever, and, and upload it. So in that way, it's a little more of the people's art. But if you're in the streaming business and doing the kind of shit that we're doing, yeah, equipment matters. Dude, look at it. When you and I, we're just recording this on Zoom, looking at each other in each other's house, right? Think about like the, the Two Bears, One Cave. They got like a full radio studio. Everyone's doing full different studios and the arms, and they're dropping thousands of dollars on gear and equipment and cameras. And most of them aren't even just audio podcasts anymore. The audio is an afterthought. The, to them, it's just the videos and the clips. Yeah, you know. You, pockets, I... you can make it look real professional real fast. Well, they're doing full production for videos and clips, but still a lot of the 
a lot of the listening is audio still like people that are traveling or people that are driving or whatever. Right. Yeah. But I think I always, I always like kind of respect that when people start to go viral, they immediately put the money into their production, which is probably the first thing you should do when you're an amateur operation, you know, get the production up, up to speed. Yeah. You trying to talk yourself into buying one of these badass microphones, Tommy? I I hear it. I'm in, in my head. I'm figuring out where in the house I'm building the studio. <laughs> I mean, you've got several rooms. Like, or do we just get a get another house in a? I mean, we could go probably eight miles up the freeway to some some cheap location dude, from no. us, right? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> Sorry, give me text and stuff. I don't want to uh, give away any uh, identifiable information, but isn't there that lovely place on Rainbow Ridge? Let's kick that fucker out. Oh, Let's oh, oh, turn oh. that into after later house. Oh, yeah, turn it into turn it into a, our studio, and then I, of course, you rent out that space to other podcasters when you're not using it, right? Oh, fuck them. No, just, no. just our, our private studio. Because that way you get to write the whole thing all the way off, Tom. That's what helps. <laughs> you need to, I'm going to help you show a loss, man. That's how you become a success in the podcast business. <laughs> Clearly identifiable losses for write-off purposes. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be cool. Well, that is our backup plan. If our wives ever oh. uh, come to their senses and throw us both out, I think we're, we'll just go full-time over at Rainbow Ridge, right? That's it just occurred to me what, what I'm counting horrible, on. What a horrible business model that would be. Like having <laughs> having a rental studio for amateur entertainment, right? They do that. There's there's places like that all over the U.S. There's like um, like you know how they have those uh, office share shared office spaces. Yeah, we work and things like that. Yeah, we're doing that with uh, uh, podcast studios. Make your own radio show. It's a that's a that's a grift as old as time, bro. I mean, Marconi Jr. came up with that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's 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 from the jump. Matter of fact, I would recommend to anyone out there who is looking to get into the podcast business, just saying that out loud near your phone is going to give you a hundred different ads for gear and equipment because there is a that's a multi-billion dollar industry right now selling this kind of stuff. Um, but remember. Uh, uh, podcasts are like restaurants and that 99% of them go broke. Yeah. Ah, right. So just go to that secondhand market. You can buy someone's broken dreams for pennies on the dollar. Uh, buy a studio that's already failed. Yeah, exactly. Just buy the, cause they're going to, Oh, I bet the roadcaster 3 million. I don't know how it works, but we're going to try. And they make five episodes of something that nobody watches. And then they're, then they have to sell all that shit. That's when you swoop in. But I'll tell you this, and I, what was I talking to about this? I think I was talking to Barry Lamanac about about this. All right, um, kind of foreseeing a a um, a counter move to go to actually more low tech production, right? Okay. That so many people are are putting together polished kind of looking podcasts, like the the um, well, the standards and practices have become so mainstream and easy to replicate that you can. You can really, it's, there's many, many websites and you don't even need to uh, pay a consultant now. You can just look up shit for free online and figure out how to put all this together. Right? <coughs> it's pretty easily done if you have the money to do it. So that the market, that the, the, the eye of the consumer is actually becoming a little more burnt, too burned out to the over-professionalized, over-produced 
that you're going to see a backlash more into the old fashioned raw kind of made stuff, which that's what we're counting on, right? I mean, which is again, mainstream entertainment being about 20 years behind the porn industry. Amen that bro. Right. Because that's, the, that. that's sort of the path that pornography took is they, they amped up to huge production, real filmmaking, and that made everybody start looking for amateur homemade stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So we're going to Gonzo podcasting is what you're saying. That's right. what we need to POV looking down at the microphone. So we will soon hear in our business. I can't book you. You have too many followers. Yeah. My guests don't like that. My audience doesn't like that. We're yeah, looking for overexposed. We're looking for an underground boutique startup act <laughs> yeah, that would be great is is if we were in a major city i guess we are in houston if we came up with like a a punk podcast bar oh yeah sure you know i'm saying like yeah it's got to be less than 50 listeners or subscribers right this raw unheard of undiscovered shit man you know what i mean we're not trying to do your mom's house here take no. that mainstream shit somewhere else yeah you know, with your packaged ads and your liners <laughs> for the underwear of the week club. You know what I mean? Reading, oh, what are you going to read? Some liners for Sandals Resort? You fucking sell out, John. It's oh. it's hysterical what you're saying, but I'm still like deep down inside, so happy for these guys that are really just club comics. Yeah, that have turned into these internet multi-millionaires that are basically in charge of all the information i think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened and i still will make fun of them like you you know for going big time but i, I think it's really cool that you know that the the most popular podcast on the planet is a guy who we hung out with at the last stop you know yeah no it, you're right you're right and you know what uh one of these for you for doing the face turn before I did really makes me look like the asshole. Like I was Mr. Oh, I know. I know you were Johnny bagging on our our fucking peers. So you went, you, you did the whole, you know what, John, I know we're having fun and all, but seriously, from my heart, let's hear for the troops. I care about, I think they deserve our love and respect. Make me look like I'm the fucking prick. No, I I don't. How dare you make me look like that? Pretend I didn't say it. I apologize. Too late. Right. That was a bad move. It's too late. The you thing know what? Is, We've had too much time off. That's what it is, Tom. I think you're upset because I won video golf. It's the first time I've ever played <laughs> golf. I fucking am. You're still I fucking really am. angry about it. And I'm not competitive, so I'm not that guy. That's what know? makes it worse for me. I know. It's <laughs> That's worse to I'm lose to the guy who's <laughs> fucking playing. Oh, look at the score. Am I doing? Did I get that? Oh, look. It's actually close. Oh, oh, oh look. I'm ahead. You know, well, I think we, we we've we've grown in our old man golf skills at uh, at disparate uh, speeds right oh yeah like you go back 10 years ago when you and i were playing golf we were equally bad yeah yeah right but then you had you had a little bit of a uh, a neck problem i'm not gonna blame it on injuries you've 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 you got way better at golf than i than well, i well no i just got i you know what i got i got simpler i, I adapted to, remember i told you my my i switched to old man golf i kept trying to I stopped trying to be all crazy and rah, swing out of my shoes and spray it off everywhere. I just started saying, screw it. I'm wearing cargo shorts and Crocs. I may as well play the part, right? And so right. three-quarter swing, hit it straight. So I, I kind of adapted earlier while you were still kind of dealing with, with uh, physical problems, and you got those fixed. 
now we're back up at the same same level again so yeah. you know the the next evolution in our golf is going to be probably when we're both at 60s having to do like adaptive stuff when we have special grips playing the playing the the opposite the the front tips instead of the back tips that was fun miss shout out to swing zone that's a cool place right dude Dude, absolutely. I mean, look, Tommy, I'm not trying to give away free advertisement to our 47. <laughs> maybe we maybe we still have them. Let's we're probably down to about 22. 22 loyal listeners. <laughs> Some yeah. of them just died off, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that um, happens. But yeah, swing zone golf, man. That that uh uh is it called golf simulators? It's just called golf yeah, simulators. It's a right? Golf simulator, man. You're hitting into the screen that has the yeah, it's awesome. And it's so realistic, dude. It was great. And sitting there, you're basically at a sports bar playing golf. That was, we played an entire round in what, hour and a half? Yeah. I yeah, mean, 90 minutes. That's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Dude, it was perfect. It's about, it's, it was about, perfect. Uh, it's about five minutes a hole. Story of my life. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, dude, that was fun. We We should do that more often. But that's uh that's simulation, bro. And that's that's a that's a theme of our existence that we know of, or as we know it. And how how the the better the golf simulation gets, the less uh, magical real golf becomes. I think, and then you realize this could all be a simulation. Yeah, you know, point. I, I and I know we use our our jobs as analogies a lot, but. Uh... I, one of the best compliments a comedian can give another comedian on a ship after watching their show is like, ah, oh, yeah, I, for, I forgot I was on a cruise ship, you know, right. felt like a comedy club. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm wondering if you and I will live long enough to play simulated golf to the point where we forgot that it was a simulation for a minute. Oh, I thought we were actually, oh, that was, yeah. that was, I, I had a few minutes where I thought we were actually playing golf. You that know, would be difficult to pull off because it, it we'd have to go VR headsets and there'd have to be uh the smell of the grass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The as we did play yesterday, it was so realistic that I went and peed by the tee. You you did, which is on, on a, a, a screen hole. That's usually where I pee. It's not okay. <laughs> this first couple of beers get to you. <laughs> yeah, the people at the uh, the rest of the sports bar were sat by my uh observance of realism but yeah dude that would if you think about it right like it had the whole articulating stand to give you the downhill the uphill lie right yeah so it's like this whole you know it's kind of what would he was that hydraulic so it was like a hydraulic thing and what's the difference between that and real life you know what i mean as far as the, the the coding of it if it's a if we if we are on an earth simulation anyway and you do play around a golf the the program is almost exactly the same that you would play on the uh the video version of it yep you know think about it so what's the difference you walk up to, oh here's where my ball is and and in the yeah uh, i think i think that might be the difference is like walking or riding to the ball yeah and looking for a ball like that's something that doesn't happen in virtual golf you don't lose a ball no well, that would be a fun element to add to it Right. But if you if you added that, like your ball's somewhere over here, walk around while your friend's hitting his shot, see if you <laughs> could find it. Like if they made it that realistic. Right. But then it's then that's not a golf simulation. That's a that's a life simulation that has golf in it. Yeah. You know? 
yep. which is which is different, you know, than than just the the golf simulation. I I think it would be super cool because the, the place we were at would have what like eight different bays, so like eight different groups could be playing eight different courses, right? Six. It was six different bays, but you could have six person in each bay. So right. So it's a lot of people that could be playing golf all at the same time. I wish that they could, if we put us all on the same course at the same time, so we could hit into each other. Oh, that's funny. That I would like, be. I like that idea where you're right? just waiting for the guys on the next hole. Yeah, and all of a sudden, it just the machine kicks a ball out at your feet, um, like one rolls up on you. You're like, Whoa. and then it turns into a fight simulator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dude. All right, we are. We're fucking spitting pearls here. We need to say copyright uh, after later, 2024, 2023. <laughs> a golf simulator that turns into a, a fight simulator. A full-blown golf simulator, like all the way. Like, I got the perfect name. Uh, what? Swing Zone. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to buy that place? <laughs> it already works, man. It works for fighting, too. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think uh, there's no way that place is going broke. They're busy as hell. It's a great, great That's thing. Great. It's a great business model, man. If it's they went tits business. up, we could buy that place, put a it's podcast like at one end, golf at the other. It's already got a bar. Yeah. It's next door to a taco place. Yeah, but... Uh... Let's be honest, wherever we build our studio, it's going to be next door to a taco place. Yeah, that is <laughs> like how comedy clubs used to be within 100 feet of a Chili's. Oh, yeah. Every right. time. It was, Every it was, time. It was everything. But yeah, that was good. Congrats to you on what I believe was a three, four-stroke victory, which I I had. I shot. I, okay. Now, we were playing the course that's designed to learn how to play simulated golf. So it's a course that's like it's like putting the bumpers in for bowling right there's no gutters in this course everything kind of deflects back into the middle of the fairway there's one part that literally the the uh, fairway looked like um a uh, snowboarding half pipe yeah a lot of downhill shots mm -hmm. and stuff but on that i'm not a good golfer but on that thing i shot a 77 over 18 holes and usually the simulated golf is pretty similar to what you would shoot in real life like last mm -hmm. time i was there i think i shot a 110 which is about what i shoot over 18 holes but this one got me all excited about playing golf because it seemed easy mm -hmm. and we also went to the uh super easy amateur settings too oh i'm always saying we didn't do the white the white tees and the and the uh the gimme at 10 feet or whatever it was yeah yeah, but that's uh, but that's how we should play golf until we par it. Then we can make it more difficult. Right? Yeah, yeah. Are we gonna start doing that in real golf? Ten foot gimmies? Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I like like inside the length of the club gimmies. I think that's. But dude, how many times did I live out a three foot gimme? You lipped out a full seven times, and I think I won by two strokes. So yeah. you should have half those lip outs should have been in. It was, cool. it was so like the. the the simulation was cruel to me. You should have beat me by two strokes. Yeah. But, but that's the other me, the cool a, part a about the tale of AI. I think it picked well, on me. It picked on you in particular. Mm -hmm. See, I think that happens in real life though. Like yes. I, th I think you have a day where you do something on the first hole when you're playing golf, you do something disrespectful to the game of golf and golf will get you back for 18 holes. Dude, my swing is an affront to golf. 
<laughs> but you just have like there are unlucky days on the golf course. And that's what you had. But I think the simulation, that was a very realistic part of the simulation is all your lip outs. It's funny. And I wonder if it's programmed in there, if it just if it was just like happened. I wonder well, if the simulation to make the game more interesting just intentionally says, oh, let's let's see if we can make this guy yell bad words, you know? No. And you know what? I think that's part of the coding that should go into our uh, fully immersive real golf is like, you gotta, you don't just put in your name, like you're at a bowling alley, right? Like you just, Oh, John, whenever it's your shot, it comes up, John. No, 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 no. You got to put your age, your date of birth, your star sign, your ascending moon. You know what I mean? Like it's got a, it's, it, I think it, it really did credit rating. What's your home address? Let's see what your mortgage is like. You know, how many kids you got? You got four kids. Okay. So now you're pissed. Now you're drinking. Right. So the more data it puts in, the more it decides it's, it's just more information for the golf gods. And then right. that always the thing is the God in the machine, right? Yes. When you keep going to these simulations or think about super immersive video games, right? Yeah. At some point you're like, man, I, there's some sort of karma score. But I'm, like you said, like I did something disrespectful to the game early and now it's giving me the bad wind. It's giving me the lip outs. It's giving no, it's me all of a sudden I'm sculling the ball. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's making me think of the very clever uh, uh, the game Roy on Rick and Morty. I don't know if you've seen it, but the, yeah, where they play the how, how hard it's, you get it's just this popular video game that's just a life simulation of an ordinary guy, you know. But it's fully immersive to the point where people kind of freak out when they come out of it. Like, yeah, I don't know what happened. Um, so you're talking about we're we're gonna make Roy Golf Simulator basically but that's the that's the funny part about this like a simulated golf or a simulated bowling it it turns into a simulation of life the more real you make it right which happened with like sports video games right where now if you if you're doing madden football you could you could draft freaking college players and you know, set prices for the hot dogs in the stadium. You know, weird, not, weird stuff like that. Not only that, dude, they have it now where it's immersive to where you running football practice, you're practicing drills so that they're better at certain things. I mean, there's all kinds of elements in video games now that you never had before. Right, right. But the, the idea is to make the sport part of the game realistic. You have to make the life around it realistic to make the, make the simulation more realistic. I would yeah. like to... Like Madden is a fun game. The the action is good. The football is pretty close to real. I wish God damn it. Sorry. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh I would like to play the last Boy Scout. Oh yeah. Oh you know yeah, that's mean? fun. I want I, you never know. There's gambling. These guys are caught up in dirty shit, and at some point you know, late in the fourth quarter, a guy on a desperate run pulls out a gun and starts shooting the defense, you know, right. and you're like, well, Hey, you got to practice for that. Got to defend that. You know, how do you defend an active shooter in the backfield? Right. You know, uh, I want to know if um, my quarterback is uh, involved in the mob and is throwing away the game because his family is being held hostage somewhere. Oh, there you go. Right. I want to know uh, if this coach is being real reckless because he's got a uh, inoperable brain tumor that's bleeding inside his head. He's going to die by the end of the game. You know, what I mean, I want some real fucking stakes, some real human drama, and that makes the games. it makes the game more realistic, right? Yeah, 
so so here's here's the idea that i'm leading towards right you keep making these video games more and more realistic by extending the simulation to the world around them okay which means that the simulation that we're living in you know might just exist for this one purpose the chicken sandwich theory yeah but let's make it sports maybe the entire existence of of humans on planet earth is just a really elaborate baseball simulation and in order to have these wonderful baseball teams and baseball leagues, you need to have all the freaking side players and the side planet and all the, you need to have 8 billion people to get a thousand really good baseball players to play your video game. Right. So the rest of us are just these characters that exist to support baseball. And all of this is because a active AI tried to figure out how home field advantage changed the outcome of games. Yes. Then you all of a sudden you're like, well, we can't, once you yeah, run that, the fact in order to run that program, here. we have to create simulated baseball. That's right. Now we need 20,000 people in all their lives and how they're doing and how they're reacting to things and how that changed. Oh, well, now it can't just be about those 20,000 people. Go about where they, you know, and it just grows from there. So it makes an entire planet, yeah, entire civilization, entire ecosystems, weather. They're like, well, you know, we can't, if we're going to simulate this game, it's a day game with a 80% chance of afternoon showers. Well, we have to create giant weather patterns to go all the way around the world so that that happens and it just keeps getting, all right, well, this weather seems to be affected by, by, by the, by the tide. So now we got to throw a moon out there. All right, now we need a moon. It's all for baseball, man. It's all for baseball. <clears throat> I like this. I like this. I like the, uh, what if you could, like, you know, in these games now there, you can play every position on the field. Yeah. You can manage, you can be the GM, right? You can do all that stuff. Uh, what if they had, like, if you were uh, a Madden season ticket holder? Okay. And when you logged on, it was like, it was more like Fortnite where you're in a character and it all of a sudden you're outside a stadium and you go inside and you sit and you're, you know, you're playing, you know, you're watching the game, but you're also at the, you're, all the buttons you control are how you react as a fan. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. ordering drinks. There's a fight in the stands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a fourth down, and they're going for it. So you got to hit the buttons real fast so that you're yelling, uh, or whatever. You know. All right. You know what? We got ourselves to a point where I think right now we're just staring blankly at the wall, thinking about it. So let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back Excellent. with more after later. Somebody just rang my doorbell. Tommy, can you hear that? Can you hear that? You know, I can. I can. I can hear you scratching. Yeah. Okay. See, this awesome Sure microphone even picks up the sound of my my luxurious beard. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. Feels good, Tom. Welcome back to After Later Podcast. I'm John Wessling. He's Tommy Drake. Uh, reunited after oh so very long. But you know, we don't even care about that. You know, we get in where we fit in. You know what I mean? It's always been a nonlinear podcast. You know what I'm saying? We're not we're not slaves to the stories of the day. You know what I'm saying? You can listen to it back and forth and whatever. We just, you know, we, we do this for us, for the love of the game, Tom. For the love of our 23 fierce supporters. Yes. Which, by the way, you know, there we were. We took an unscheduled hiatus. 
Uh, did you get any messages from anyone saying, Hey, where's, where's the new podcast? No, no, I did not. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. No. So, you know, maybe I'm going to tell myself that that's because we have a, we have a trained audience, you know, they, they know what to expect from us. Uh, they know our brand, they know we're busy. So therefore, um, yeah, they just moved on to other stuff. That's great. That's good. That's good. I, right. I, you know what? I can't be upset by that because that's what I've said the whole time. So, you know, when you're actively devoted to not building a fan base in the thousands, this is what comes with it. Right. 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 You know what I mean? Like, what if, Tommy, what if we had, what if the, the, the podcast you and I have been doing for the last two years, what if we had 30,000 subscribers, just listeners galore? I mean, are you even, how would we, we wouldn't be able to keep up with the demand, would we? You know, I mean, we work too much going all over the place. It's hard for us to imagine if we had to pound out three of these a week to fill the the hungry maws of the after later listener. That would be uh, that would be difficult. I think, you know, the problem is we 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 communicate too well with each other, Tom. We, you know, what I mean, we're not just throwing out bullshit back and forth and keeping the balloon in the air for no good reason. We we get down to the root of the matter. Right. Right. We flow chart this bitch all the way down to natural conclusions you know, the, the five true outcomes. Right. So I think if we, if we did this more, we would run out of material because we would solve all the problems. Probably. We are too effective as communicators to, to do this on a regular basis. The first time I was in a radio studio, I, I thought there were, there would actually be a balloon and there wasn't. Keeping the balloon in the air. Keeping the balloon in the air. Yeah, I didn't realize that was just a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, problem is, is it's been tried before as like a training exercise, but the uh, idiots in the room get too fixated on the balloon part as opposed to the conversational part. Ah. So you just hear a bunch of people doing this one. <laughs> oh, 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 got close. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's got a. Uh, oh, uh, speaking of, since you brought up the word metaphor, uh, you know what I've been enjoying lately. What's that? Malifors. Oh, what's a what's a malifor? That's when you butcher a metaphor. <laughs> it I love it. That's actually you know what I mean. Right. Like, uh, oh, I, I had a good example, and I just spaced on it while I was saying it. But um, you know, uh, 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 oh man, like where you mix it up, right? Like, all right, um, a mixed, a bird, a mixed metaphor. Yeah, a, sure. a bird in the hand is is uh, better than a kick in the balls. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a malifor, right? Because it's right. messed up. Uh, Sometimes you mix them over together, you know, like it's a, it's not rocket surgery. That's a mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Those tickle, those tickle my brain. I like it. Yeah. Funneled I, language. Another one of our common themes here on after later. I, I often think that people have misused the bird in the hand, uh, analogy. I think people are confused about what they mean, what that yeah. means. Right. And the, the idea is if there's, if there's two birds in a bush, the act of catching one of them, the other one escapes, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to catch both of them. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, and people think that the, the analogy is a bird in the hand is like better than two in the bush. No, it's worth the exact same as two in the bush, right? <laughs> yeah. Going to end up with one bird in your hand, right? Uh, That's not what grind culture people would say nowadays. They're like, you got two hands, you get two birds. Exactly. You got to catch them at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. 
and you yeah. have to sneak up on both of them where they can't see you. It's a very yeah. difficult move. And if you're not prepared to do that, well, then, you know, you, you got to wake up by five. You got to take an ice plunge. Oh, wow. You know, you got to get your mind right. Have you yeah. eaten today? I can, I can wake up sleep. early, but I'm not going to take a nice plunge. Yeah. That's what's holding me back. You know what, Tommy? I think that's what we got to do. That's what the, uh, the the zeitgeist demands that we start doing ice plunges. You know, everyone else is doing it. all the cool kids are doing it. All the all the other comedy podcasts, everyone's ice plunging and taking testosterone and, you know, really fucking getting after it, eating elk and shit. When's the last time you ate elk? Uh, Bro, do you even I've, elk? I've, I've probably had elk in the last five years. Really? <laughs> I do a lot of. Yeah, but not for like health reasons, just because I go to a lot of like upscale restaurants and order weird stuff off the menu. You know? That's because, yeah, you guys go to those those super rich eyes wide shut parties where you're eating rare animals and stuff. Yeah, not really parties, but yeah, every now and then we'll be at a catered event, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, is this the uh, elk confit? Like, ooh, when I uh, when I first got on shifts, there were a bunch of young, you know, singer dancers there, and some of them had these like great plans for their for their life, right? About how mm -hmm. they were going to get, you know get on Broadway or the West end and, you know, have a successful stage career that leads to, you know, making an album or whatever. Yes. And I remember one of them, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, so I'm just going to start living. Like I'm already, you know, super successful. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, oh the strategy. That's once you get successful. Then I'll, then I'll get a personal trainer and hit the gym all day. He's like, no, I'm gonna start living like that. So start being healthy. I'm gonna start flossing every day and start exercising every day, blah, blah, blah. Right. And just start just start living like I'm successful. And then, you know, we jump around from ship to ship. So I came back like three months later. I'm like, how's it going? He goes, I can't even floss every day. <laughs> <laughs> like he failed on one of his first things was just flossing. <laughs> like that's what a rich person, that's what a successful star would do. They would take care of their teeth, right? Mm -hmm. I can't even floss yeah. anymore. Like there's no way I'm ever going to be successful. No, because you can't, there's a lot of things about being successful. You cannot fake, right? Like only successful people can sleep 12 to 14 hours a day. Right. I mean, exactly. Complete broke losers will also do it, but they suffer in all other regards, but only, only the true successful people can have full recuperative rest for 12 to 14 hours can get actual beauty sleep. And then they wake up and they eat chia pudding and elk eggs. That's super rare when you're getting elk eggs. Wow. You know what I'm saying? That's technically can't even exist. That's how rare that shit is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you have to you, you have to be a you can't will yourself into being a show pony if you're not a show pony. Right, right. You know what I mean? But you see people try. God bless them. But some guys have done it the other way around. Some guys have gotten famous and then cleaned up their act and started taking care of themselves after they got famous, you know, which is, I think everybody's kind of plan in their head, you mm -hmm. know, but, uh, but, you know, you can argue that some people have gone the other way, that they took care of themselves until they achieved a certain level of success and then stopped caring. Yeah. I don't know which way I would be. I think I would be the, uh, scrap like hell to, to finally get a hit. And then once I had the hit, then it would probably be a lot of cleanup of life. Right. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, that's where you gotta hit a rehab. That's where you, you know, you gotta go get veneers, whatever it is you do. You know what I mean? I'm not sure what rich 
famous people do when they i want to say philosophically though like that what you're supposed to do is do your best to live like you're successful whether you are or not as just as far as personal habits and taking care of yourself right even if you can't sleep 14 hours a day mm-hmm. you could certainly you know schedule out your sleep do stuff before you go to sleep getting ready to go to sleep that allows you to have a more you know restful sleep that's the idea my, right? my contractor's knocking on my door give me a sec all right tommy's got to go deal with the contractor Sorry. <laughs> there you go talking about act like you're already successful if you're a broke ass out there you ain't got no contractor. You know what I'm saying? No, you got, you got a debt collector. That's what you're dealing with. Tommy's like, oh, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, they're, they're doing some work on my veranda. They're, they're clearing out things so I can observe the sunsets finer from my house. Let me go talk to my guy. Like, no, you brought the wrong marble. This, this doesn't uh, match our furnitures, our furnishings. No, no. Broke people call it furniture. Rich people call it furnishings. They're home decor, not just some shit I have. So, Tommy, you can hear my children playing in the background. I ain't got no contractor. <laughs> Do not. No, I have a I have an Amazon delivery guy I'm fond of. Oh, here's a fun thing you can do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this already, as we are in the week leading up to Christmas, uh, most people are getting their stuff from Amazon. You know what? Hey. You have some some thoughts about the evil empire of capitalism and Amazon and all that? Keep that shit to yourself, okay? Um, because what I'm telling you to do is to help the little man. And all you got to do is go into Amazon where you Amazon Prime where you're ordering stuff and just put uh, thank my driver in the search bar and that will instantly give $5 to your last driver. And to no cost to you, no cost to them. It's from the company Amazon itself, five bucks to your driver. So just um, uh, next time you get a big package delivered, if you're leading up to Christmas, there's a whole bunch of them. They got them there in time. Just go to your search bar and put thank my driver. Boom, they get five bucks. Everyone should do it. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That was a nice little public service announcement nice. for the Amazon drivers out there. It's kind we of- all do it. We could, we could break Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Matter of fact, I can't believe that a... Uh, uh, a computer designer, a coder hasn't come up with some sort of repeating thing that just makes it automatically happen for every Amazon order. Oh yeah, that's that'd be interesting. But that's where the whole "Are you a robot?" comes in, right? Is yeah. to to avoid those programs. Are you a robot? Great question. Great question. There's a couple uh, stories that we have here. That one you wanted to talk about, but but in our business, which. If your theory is correct, he would, in fact, be a robot, yes? Yeah, or just an AI creation. And would, would, that, would that be possible? It's a very yeah. Mandela effect thing. So your theory, you, you should just say it. Say what your theory is, because I find it fascinating. Um, okay, and I almost, I almost want to call it the, the Harry Potter theory, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, my theory is that... Uh, uh, Matt Reif, a comedian, doesn't actually exist. That he was created by the uh, by the internet with a whole history, uh, convincingly enough that people believe that they've known of him since he was about sixteen years old. Right. Uh, and and uh, it, it was just an experiment to see if we could create and and destroy something 
you know, the by by AI, like because AI create a comedian. What you're seeing is a meteoric rise and a precipitous fall. Yeah, that's a precipitous the idea. fall. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm actually crank. hoping it's not a fall. I'm actually rooting for him. I'm hoping it's just a little controversy, and you know, in a couple mm -hmm. years he releases an album or a special that's actually super solid, and people are like, ah, you know, I love this guy because he's been doing comedy since he was a kid and you know he has a lot of potential right well i'll say this because i don't want to come across as a hater because you beat me to the hater punch earlier in the episode so i feel like right I'm right now right uh, i've never met or worked with matt rife but i know plenty of people who have and um almost universally uh vouch for the guy and say that he is one of us that he is actually a good comic and good people you know when you meet him hand to hand in person that he is and he's paid some dues he's done some gigs that you know other people tend to skip over when they're on the rocket ship to success. So I will say that I will say that, but if your theory is true, that he is a, a concoction of an AI and that his backstory has been uh, retconned by malfeasance, shittery yes. afoot, a yes. purposeful Mandela affecting to, to reinsert him into our memories. Uh, then I'm, then I'm now I'm suspicious of people who I would have called dear friends and wondered how they got sucked into this. And so I, I, I'm of two minds here. Um, but my, my instinct says that you could be onto something because of something that Anthony uh, Jeselnik brought up in, in a couple of videos that he had on the subject is that Matt Reif turned on his audience immediately <laughs> that he, he, he rose to the, to, to giant success off of female fans. Yeah. Chicks that thought he was hot and cute and funny and they were just absolutely adorable and they just wanted to they wanted to hug him and bone him and just and then all of a sudden he got the Netflix special and went, fuck that. Fuck you chicks. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. go kiss the guy's asses. Yeah. So it was like he completely and I can't believe that an agent, whoever was, you know, trying to leech off this rocket ship ride to, to success let him do that or he he had to have blown through some stop signs of people's advice going what are you doing dude my god we're about to make rom-coms for 20 years to make a 500 million dollars and now all of a sudden you want to you want to be one of the douchebag guys the douchebag <laughs> guys are are broke as fuck off of broke as fuck broke as fuck dudes you had the you had the sweet pot of success female success as a male entertainer in comedy is worth its weight in gold for christ's sake right if women come to see your shows everybody comes to see your shows yeah i mean that's just a i hate to be cynical about it but my god you you had you you've already won the hardest part right <laughs> you know you're a good looking guy you're in good shape and you're actually funny and women want to come see you and when women come everyone else comes too and that's a that's a lesson in life right there but then all of a sudden you get the break and because a couple of guys were calling you a chicks comic it got in your nerves and you decided you wanted to throw all that away because you're not going to win over the guys now you know what i'm saying you're not you're, you're essentially you know i'm thinking like the douchey guy comics and you know the the broosphere out there is right. gonna look at him like he's an insane or he's a backstreet boy and all of a sudden you want to be gritty and real they're just not gonna you're never gonna get them all the way but now, but you lose those women, boy, you fucking lose them in a hurry. Those same women that loved you because you were so cute. Almost a little bit of a bad boy too, right? Like, ooh, he's naughty. But as soon as you get douchey, they fucking hate you. And now you're seeing that. You're seeing stories come out about, oh, he was dating seven different women at once and they all figured it out in a group chat and exposed him. You know, like, oh, okay, great. 
is that a negative story? Because now it is. <laughs> <laughs> when it was happy, it was like, oh, yeah, he's dating seven women at the time. Good for him. Good for him, kid. But but now the worm has turned, right? So that seems to me to prove your point. Sorry, Tommy, for rambling about this, but it's because I see your point. Yeah. This is almost like, remember Brewster's Millions? Yeah. Where he's given millions of dollars, but he story. has to spend yeah. every dime of it in a year, right. or he or he loses it, or he doesn't get the big prize. I feel like that's what this is playing out with AI. AI is like, watch, we're going to take this unknown entity, we're going to create something out of nowhere, right? We're going to make him the most famous, popular comic in the world, and then take it all away by the end of the calendar year. Yeah, it, just to just to fuck with everybody. Like, it seems like an experiment, right? And I don't think I don't truly believe it's been taken all away yet. I think I still think he can have a very profitable tour, right? For sure, well, I still think his name's going to sell tickets. It might not sell the same amount of tickets, but selling any tickets is profitable in this business. But is the play to continue with stand up and to sell tickets? I you he's know at that he's at that jumping point where we've seen a hundred people just like him. Now is when he makes the move into just being an actor, right? Being famous on TV. Yeah, which is a shame because he's at the age and experience level where I probably wrote, started writing my my really good stuff because mm -hmm. it takes that long to get there, right? Right. And putting away, whether you like the Netflix special or not, retiring an hour of material is a very healthy thing for a comic that age to do. Right. And he's kind of in that position now. What comes out of him next, who knows how how marketable it's going to be. But oh, that's... Quick time out here, Tommy, while you're yeah. talking. You can hear the alarm or my, my phone ringing in the background. While you were talking to your contractor, we were talking about difference between uh, uh, successful people and unsuccessful people. Uh, successful people don't have a landline that rings and no one answers because you know it's a bill collector. <laughs> <laughs> successful person, their landline rings. Someone thinks, oh, someone's at the gate. They need me to buzz them in. Yes, exactly. But not now. My house, it's like, oh shit, the poverty alarm's going off the again. Poverty alarm. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, interest rates moved. They're pissed again. <laughs> well, they let let it go, guys. Let it go. That's eight rings. That's don't they, they doubled down. They doubled yeah. down. So you think? I guess it really, you really have to just figure out what's Matt Rife's. Uh, motivation does he want to be an all-time great comic is he you know like you had said that he was inspired by going to see dane cook when he was a child right so is he yeah do he keep doing does he want to sell out madison square garden over and over again does he want to be like does he want to do that or is, is this the time where you just take the jump and go be in movies uh you know i don't know he's got the off-ramp to movie star right now if he wants it yeah there's and there's got to be there's got to be offers but uh but also i mean the the wrong movie role could be devastating to that lane, right? So I'm sure yeah, he has. So offers, he shouldn't make a Malibu's Most Wanted, but he has to be careful. Yeah, <laughs> and he and he probably shouldn't. You know, he shouldn't star in anything. You know, but like having a having a you know a fourth or fifth build role in a in a in a big film would be huge for him. You're right, like a scene stealer, and then like a, exactly. a lesser character in like an Avengers movie, like just getting in the yeah, of course, MCU, something like that, and then follow it up like third or fourth movie is finally a big star, yeah, movie. or even even playing himself as a comic in one of those vehicles, you know. 
It's, okay, but here, here's my because there is a movie out called uh, Don't Suck, right? Where he plays a vampire who's a comic. Right, right, right. It's got Jamie Kennedy in it, oddly enough, from the yes Malibu's Most Wanted reference you uh-huh. previously heard. So, the, but that's like an indie that they made already, and it's just coming out now to kind of take advantage of the heat, right? Yeah, right. But like once you make that jump, once you start going for the you know, the the big roles and stuff you have to figure out like what we're talking about is strategy that he should be hearing from managers, agents, their teams, all this stuff. Right. It's like, it's like um, entourage. There should be, he should come into a meeting at CAA and they just throw out all these scripts and say, here's our plan. You're going to do this, 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 and boom, next thing you know, you're when, you know, super successful, famous people on earth. It's the meeting you all wish that you could have when you're on the way up. Right. Right. Like one of these days, an Ari Gold's going to say, come on in kid. And they're going to pick you up in a town car and it's going to be all nice and shit. And you're going to go to these offices and everyone's waiting. Everyone's got binders and they're pitching shit to you. That's what you want. But is he showing that he's uncoachable based off of what he's just done? Right. I don't, I don't know. How how was he not coached right off the bat to, to, to stick to, stick to what he was doing, but he was, is he striving? Is he so much of a comic that he's striving for comic approval over commercial success? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened here. And I don't want to be negative about, is it a classic comic self-sabotage? I guess I don't want to be negative about entertainment executives. I'm sure there's some, of course not. Who does? I'm sure there's some good ones out there, (laughs) but I do know that part of their job is absolving themselves from responsibility having a lot of reasons why you produce something. And one of the most interesting things that happened with Matt Reif was as soon as the, the TikTok fame took off to the point where he could sell out his own produced self-produced tour, basically, or independently produced tour, he had people helping him. As soon as that sellout happened, some of the posts, uh, online that were getting shared was oh netflix too bad you slept on this matt rife kid you know Mm -hmm. because he was trying to get a netflix special before this fame came about yeah and of course you don't you don't get it without the fame but the way the executives absolve themselves from responsibility is yeah the kid has you know uh two million followers you know he's got a, a hugely monetized tiktok account so yeah, on paper, who wouldn't produce this? Who cares what he says on stage? Right. There's no coaching at that point because they're completely absolved from responsibility. Whereas if they would have given him the special two years before when he had zero followers, that would have been 100% on the executive. Right. right? Like, why did you do this? Well, I saw that he was going to get famous. Well, but you didn't talk to him about his material. Why did we not edit this before we released it? You know? Because of all the followers he had online, it didn't matter. Right. And, and I'm also conspiracy theorist enough to know that if the night that you release something like a Matt Rife hour-long Netflix special, it doesn't get enough views, you immediately start posting online that it sucks. <laughs> to make because people go watch that's it. how people like me are going to buy it and say, oh, no, what went wrong? You know, like, I've uh, what happened here? right Hmm. or watch it or whatever but i think that's how i mean the fact that we're talking about it is a big deal and i you know and i i brought up uh greg warren's special last time i talked to you the salesman just about something that was really like well done and independently made and brilliant right so so. it's not you know i'm you know i'm not in the habit and i've i still haven't watched the entire matt rife special but i mean for his age and what it is and what I've seen, 
it's not bad it's just not what people wanted it to be right you know well i'll, I'll say this a very good 27 year old comic oh absolutely he really, he really is I, I won't say anything bad about his skill set right he's 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 sharp he's good he's comfortable he's pulling it off there's i got no criticism and and when it comes to style stuff that's your choices too and go go for it i i am agnostic and ambivalent to his successes right they they, they taught us early uh don't begrudge others the success you would have for yourself right he's not doing stolen jokes really it's not like there's anything you can point at and say shitty fucking people like it they like it yeah but, oh just a network executive a producer of a show wouldn't have the same direct effect on his career choices and when i say about the coaching and stuff i don't mean uh, an, a, a network executive because even like a, a netflix executive like you said they want the controversy controversy equals clips he goes up there and eats shit and pulls his dick out and it's a horrible thing you know uh that that only helps you i'm talking right. more about on his team his side of the people that are making the strategic 10 moves down the line people get yeah people, people that are that are him. that are getting commissions off of him should definitely because that's the when have been the ones that said hey you sure you want to open with the black eye waitress jokes and saw your you know, you watch the news lately, chicks aren't right. really digging that guy. You know what I mean? Right. And the fact that there was, that he blew through that. And you said they like to distance themselves. No one wants to go down with the, so if he all of a sudden he's unruly and throws away all that right at the beginning, that is, they, they will ooh, jump back real quick. Right. That. I don't know any, I don't know any particulars about that. It just seems to me, especially from watching uh, Jeselnik's um, clips about it. Like what a what a strange move to make. That's seems like I don't know fear of success. Could bit. be too, and it could got be. to the got to the high dive, and it didn't look the same as you thought it would up there. And yeah, I I can't imagine uh, myself, but I've I've heard it talked about that like like there are people that exist that can like write one great song, mm -hmm. and they know that they're never going to be able to recreate it. And I can't imagine knowing that. Like, I feel like as a writer, once I've written something that's good, I've it inspires me to gives me the confidence to know that I can keep producing stuff that's 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 good, you know. But some people have that opposite. So that that fear of success might be it took it took everything I had to get to this point. I don't think I can produce a new hour every year to sustain right. touring i need to transition to something else hmm. right so there might be that kind of overbearing you know or i need to find a place where i could run the same material over and over and get paid for it right <laughs> well son come on down to the sea <laughs> that's what i, I one of the, that hour in perpetuity one of the things that young comics uh fail to understand right away is that that having 30 minutes of great original material gives you it gives you a taste but it doesn't give you a full-time career those those and when when that is is sustainable for a few years you're you've been lucky you caught a wave or you got with the right people that you're opening for you got on the right circuit where they could they could use you for that but it, that's not sustainable it's not like to have long-term paying your bills in this business you have to keep creating and keep expanding your material base right yep like you're never done writing never
Yeah, but sometimes I, I, I can get it, though, because I've gone through creative doldrums. Yeah, but have you, I have you ever the well been to the point where you're there. like, I'm never going to ride anything again? Have you ever had that feeling? Yeah, yeah. See, that's, but that's, that's, that's extreme. You know, you drink through it, though. <laughs> you drink you drink through it. You know what I mean? Like you drive through the smoke, you just accelerate. <laughs> Same thing. Like oh, I know you've had oh, this. Yeah, I'll be fine tomorrow. I know you've experienced this because I've I think I've been around you when it's happened, but you've you feel like you haven't written anything or said anything new on stage in years. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of weeks, like all this new stuff pours out of you that's all interesting and all good, you know. I'm well, thank you. I'm a I'm a binge creator. You are. Yeah. It just comes out. Well, I, I think I I, I kind of rock tumble for a while. Sure. I put it in the hopper. I have an idea, just vague ideas. That's then, how you gather gold, by the way, is tumbling rocks around. Yes. Or falls yeah. to the bottom. I am a, yeah, when it comes to comedy, I am a sluice miner. A <laughs> sluice miner. <laughs> <laughs> and often my water is low. <laughs> <laughs> Let's rattle the screens, see if any <laughs> dust falls out. <laughs> Cleanup is a bitch, I'll tell you that. There's a lot of great. Hardest part there. of sleuth mining. <laughs> you ever accidentally dump in a bunch of tailings ah oh, that's the worst oh yeah totally I, I got a whole set i got a whole set of tailings <laughs> another comic's already done all the gems in this one yeah that's that's that that's my uh my, my new viagra joke is one of those that's a lever, <laughs> <laughs> a lever right there that's a rock you know oh, that's right. uh, I, I love that joke by the way i will i will die on the hill of that one fucking silly <laughs> feel good about it you got to see it live folks not going to do it here on the podcast no, across no. the streams um you know what i want to bring up another story i saw over our hiatus that i had to bring up with you on this first um uh, episode back because I, I i think it's being overlooked the the story is not being covered uh in, in its true uh fashion okay it's the story of the uh the the voyager probe right yeah yeah one of the, the greatest pieces of um, uh, NASA's history, right? uh, yeah. space exploration in, in human history, in Earth history, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's just, uh, I believe there's two of them, right? Voyager yes. 1, Voyager 2. Yeah. And this is a story about Voyager 1. You know, and, when I do the jokes about the gold record, you know, it's become a kind of a staple of my act. So mm -hmm. I've, I mentioned the Voyager probes, you know, at least twice a week. Well, the, the, they're near and dear to your heart. They are. Um, Voyager 1 has traveled further than any human-made object. It has crossed the heliopause and is heading into interstellar space. And, of course, you know, the uh, the farther away it goes, the harder it is to communicate with it. It's uh, currently a 21-, 22-hour turnaround. Yeah. As far as so it's like a brief message, it shoots at us. We shoot something back. It takes 21 hours each way. Yeah. So if you send it a message, you don't even get confirmation that it received that message for 40 42 40, hours 42 hours right yeah that's right hey buddy can you make more noise that would be sweet that's great thank you very much right, sneak out quietly my son came in here and said let me get something from the noisiest drawer ever created yeah my kids are audio disasters um so anyway uh it is now it's not lost communication the way it's uh, <laughs> being reported is that all they're receiving now from Voyager 1 is a series of ones and zeros. Okay. Which they're saying is the equivalent to basically it's help sound. It's a help, 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 
it's, they don't know if it's malfunctioning or sure. if it's too far or something you know radiation has fried it but all they're getting from it is like a like a bleep like blip 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 and then they throw shit back at it and they don't know for 42 hours or they're and they just get the same blip 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 so it's just it's it's bugged out and it's quite possible that it could just be dead and, and on its final protocols as it just floats for eons in that direction right but i have a different theory Tom, okay. I think that it uh, it is only sending back ones and zeros because it has reached the frontier of our local server uh, simulation. Ah, uh, it made it to the edge of the simulation. It made yeah. it. It's that, that that's that's where it's at. It's in a field of ones and zeros. We it finally... is it is sending back accurate information from its location. Where it's essentially in the dark graphite of a hard drive, where yeah, there's nothing but a field of ones and zeros, and it comes from the uh, the light wave particle experiment, where uh, that where which kind of started the idea that we're in a simulation where the act of observing something changes the results, mm -hmm. right? The fact that we sent out of uh, a probe to check out what's out there. It reached it reached the edge, and now it's trying to tell us what's out there before it's before the programming is caught up. Like yeah, we've observed beyond our observable universe. But in, in Truman Show parlance, it has gotten to the wall. Yeah, but if it's if it's a good program, it it'll it'll recognize that we've reached the edge, and it'll catch up, and then the Voyager will start sending us images again or whatever it's supposed to send mm -hmm. us. Right, it'll, it'll, it'll catch it'll up. Receive a software patch, basically. Right, it's like when the video you're watching freezes up, it's going to start again, you know. So that's 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 what my dark theory, my tinfoil hat. I think that's why we're getting that back from Voyager because that's where it's at. It's reached the outer limits of what's loaded here. It's quite an accomplishment, though, that we made anything trackable that we have basically shot outside of our solar system. That's a that's quite the accomplishment when you think about it. It is, and if this is a simulation, what does it actually mean? What is it? Right. If this isn't actually real, then what is the thing that we... <laughs> so that would almost make you think that we're being allowed to have this. Yes. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... Yeah, if, no, 100 If this is a real physical environment that we live in, and that the Voyager 1 and 2 are real things, first off, it's conspicuous that Number one and number two are the things that we ever shot out are still in operation. Yes, I think there'd be we only. But we have we have, have, we have shot. Your forty five would be the only one. We have to shoot these. We've shot. Over. We've shot a couple things to Mars, a couple things to the Moon, quite a few things in the low Earth orbit that did fail. Yeah, but our success rate is our success rate is pretty, pretty high. And, high. And the and the fact that we were getting getting signals from both the Voyager probes for so long was it was an amazing accomplishment. All right. Yeah. Crazy. An amazing accomplishment without a lot of failure to show getting there, I guess. I mean, obviously some, and we have extremely smart people that we know of that are doing it, but still it, it, it's conspicuous, conspicuous and worthy of, um, of note that it is. Yeah. We, we, it is an abnormally high success rate. Right. So that's my, that's my theory. That's my theory, that it has reached the edge of the loaded universe. Well, a, fu a funny thing happened with the Voyager probes, with the Voyager probes and the James Webb 
telescope because the, the probes were initially to get some temperature readings and close-up photos of outer planets. That was the mm -hmm. original plan for the Voyager probes, right? But now, we now have this wonderful photo technology and this James Webb telescope that can get us better pictures from a distance of something like Jupiter than Voyager got doing a flyby, right? Yeah. So it's that sci-fi scenario where we send out a generational ship like to the Sirius system to spend like, you know, 200,000 years having babies so that, mm -hmm. so that humans can reach the Sirius system. And then 40,000 years later, we build a ship that can catch that ship before it even reaches and says, ah, you guys don't have to do this anymore. And they're like, ah, <laughs> oh, but we're eight generations into this. What are you talking about? No, no, we just fly you there. We've, we've been going back and forth, but we decided to come get you Yeah, You're on the slow train and we have a fast train now. That's kind of what happened with that James Webb telescope. It kind of made the Voyager probes a little unnecessary because we could just freaking zoom in on stuff now. So maybe maybe Voyager's upset about its obsolescence. I would be. It's got little little brother envy. Like it's upset that the that the youngest space probe in the family is far more successful. Right. Everyone's talking about Webb. Everyone's talking about Vidger. What about Voyager? Huh? What happened to us? Mm -hmm. We're still shooting in that direction. Remember, we sent you back the picture for Carl Sagan with the blue dot. Everyone got excited. Like, yeah, but we got them in high res now, thanks to the web. I mean, this is like 4K. It's gorgeous. People are using them as lock screens and shit. Voyager yeah. been Voyager's been shooting, looks like, you know, Norman Lear sitcom camera. <laughs> Not exactly crystal clear that you get now. So I wonder if you do follow the track that it is uh, a server running a simulation and it requires a certain amount of processing speed even though it's at Herculean, unbelievable levels that we can't even fucking fathom or comprehend, much like a god, works in mysterious ways, omnipotent in all fashions. But it makes you wonder if it has to ex expand its uh, processing. What's it going to short out on back at the, the home program, right? Oh, like right, to right. Use some resource to now load a whole other screen and extra shit, load up another you know, solar system into the, into the plan. What are we going to start seeing glitchy here? Because it, the simulation has been growing for eons. I think about when we were prehistoric people, there was only ten thousand of us scattered all over, and we just looked up at the moon. They didn't have to. They didn't have to render every single star in detail. They didn't have to render, you know, animals and trees and shit that no one was looking at. But the more we keep growing and growing and growing, we got observable eyes all over everything. They got to keep everything running at all times. You know. Well, there was a sci-fi theory. Uh, I think Arthur C. Clarke proposed it first. Uh, but the idea is that, like, what's what's first contact going to be like? Is it a is it a is it a being that's standing on our planet, being like, oh, we came from another place, you know? Let's we'll share technology. Now, more than likely, first contact is going to be somebody upgrading one of our probes without our knowledge yeah right so the the more than likely first contact is going to be some intelligent life finding a voyager probe and saying ah oh, this is a neat thing this is one of those old radios guys there's another planet ah cool let's put one of our batteries on this thing and extend the antenna <laughs> you know 
like this they, they more than likely that's as long as we are shooting stuff out that's the first way that people are going to contact us yeah. you know i believe that well there was like a whole star trek movie that was along those lines right yeah yeah basically and that was that was, Rod, Rod, that was roddenberry for sure but i think arthur c clark came up with it first maybe well they were bros they were they were. They, they definitely. They all. They all borrowed from each other. I mean, that's the cool part about sci-fi is is people sort of establish these rules that aren't real, and other people use them. It's neat. I, like I guess it. In, in a way that is the science part of the science fiction. They're like, oh, okay. Well, this was already proved in this guy's thing, so I can. Yeah, now we can teleport. So I'm going to teleport in my book. <laughs> exactly. Over here, right. it is kind of neat. I never piece that together that way. Hmm. You know, and if you follow a simulation theory that we always talk about, you can kind of see science fiction writers as essentially being programmers of it. Yeah. And that's why science fiction skews real because I go, I don't know, I mean, as much as think about any, any fiction writers that are creating a whole other world within a world are part of the whole simulation theory. Right. Right. And the ones that create the more comprehensive world that where you can predict what would happen in them, like Tolkien. Star Wars universe. Yeah. Or like the Star or like Lucas, right? Where mm -hmm. you have this, uh, an entire world that has its own rules that are so well defined that you could write a story in the Star Wars universe and I could write a story in the Tolkien universe. People are like, oh, yeah, no, that's how that works. Mm -hmm. You know, or oh, I recognize this character, you know. It's, and the people, everybody that does that sort of contributes to the idea uh, that it could all be a simulation, you know? I found something cool that C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis is, you know, this wonderful writer, but also this very Christian man, right? Yeah. Right? And he wrote a lot of things about Christianity. But the idea was for, you know, in order for, for you to meet, you meeting God would be like uh, Macbeth meeting Shakespeare, the Ooh, only way that happens, yeah. the only way that happens is if Shakespeare writes himself into the play, right? So the only way you get to meet God is if God writes himself into the into your story, okay? But if he's the creator, he's completely removed from the thing he created, like Shakespeare's completely removed from Macbeth. He's not part of the Macbeth universe, okay? The idea of a God outside of the universe outside of all that we know that is the creator of it is the simulation theory that's the definition of a programmer and this is something that c.s lewis wrote years ago not talking about the simulation theory but talking about why it's god's choice whether or not you meet him and he didn't realize because he was discussing that that he was sort of contributing to this future idea of a simulation theory because there, there's a lot of sort of old school, modern religious folks that's, that subscribe to this old school, God is part of this universe. God created the universe, but he's also in it. Yeah, he's this right. tangible he has, he has thing. Role in it. He's this tangible thing that you can touch and see and feel. And, and so it's amazing that like a, a Christian modern thinker like C.S. Lewis would write this, no, 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 God's like Shakespeare. But also, uh, and if you said God would have to write himself into the story, isn't that kind of Jesus? Yes. Yeah, it is. That's why, you know, when you see prophets or you see people that are that are God on earth, that's that would be 
Shakespeare writing himself into the story, hmm. right? And the idea is, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Macbeth didn't meet meet Shakespeare, but he, you know, the there's the scene where the birds are singing, and that might have been Shakespeare writing himself into the story, right? Okay, well then, to to bring it all together, the whole thing, if everything is a simulation, then that would mean that science fiction writers, all writers of fiction, creators of stories, those are put into the simulation at a certain time as part of the evolution into un pulling the veil off. Because yes, yeah, if, if all of a sudden you have people that are or false flags to keep, or false flags to keep it veiled right you go either of way. course you think it's a simulation you read too much you watch too much tv that's why you think it's a simulation so all of that exists as a counter argument as well well if you stayed primitive and agrarian and never had you know dramatic arts writings stories any of that shit why would you ever think there wouldn't even be the language for it there wouldn't be the concept of it that this could all be a thing so to introduce something that would introduce that is to like a spark for eventual now you're smart enough to to know that what we're yes. doing here yes all right we've reached my favorite part of uh, the after later podcast where we've worked our way into quiet staring at the floor yes impressive oh great now i'm getting a call from the agent i'm probably in trouble i'm gonna find uh, out more bookings <laughs> well that is our episode today thank you tommy for coming back on the podcast this was a, a nice hangout uh i yes, appreciate cool. everyone listening to the um, uh after later podcast tommy you want to tell them how they can reach us i don't know if it even works anymore uh i remember i know we have a after later facebook fan page that's right that's right I, and, and uh, every now and then i get an update like uh about your taping that was also shared on after later shared on the which was good yeah 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 i can see that i can see that uh right, we're gonna do some more of these i hope you have uh, everyone out there has a, a, a happy hanukkah kwanzaa uh, uh diwali we already missed diwali hope you had it already had a good diwali uh christmas saturnalia um any other pagan holidays i don't know what we can think of a good harvest yeah shit Oh, I hope you had a great year and we'll be back with um, more after later in uh, 2024 simulation willing you of know, course who knows they might have some big shit planned for us we'll find out but until next time uh, 420 wiener balls boo boo lit fam